This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author, fanatical prospecting, objections, sales EQ, and inked, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm here with Mastermind Group Awesome from Sales Gravy University. And on this episode, this Mastermind Group is going to ask me questions, any question they want to ask about sales. Mastermind Groups are an amazing way for you to work with a group of people, peers, to make yourself better. It's a way of taking on your biggest sales challenges. We'll talk a little bit more about Mastermind Groups and how they can help you, but really anybody can form a Mastermind Group. This Mastermind group in particular is on Salesgrave University. It is facilitated by the amazing Sarah Greer. And this group has been working together for the past few weeks to take on challenges. There's been some victories, setting appointments, doing some different things, selling more. And I think some of you have even been able to connect offline and mentor and help each other when you're not in your group. And I think that's just fantastic and amazing. We're going to get started with just a first question, because I know Sarah's got one that you've already pulled in from the group. We're going to start there and and then we're just going to roll. Okay. I think we'll probably roll for about an hour. Go, Sarah. Thanks, Jeb. Question one. When prospecting in short bursts, has Jeb found calling target companies who share something in common, like their town, something useful? Certainly. Whenever you're prospecting. So if you're if you're prospecting any list and you use the word in short burst, I'm a big fan of high intensity prospecting sprint. So take 10 minutes, take 15 minutes, chop wood as fast as you can, take a break. But when you think about prospecting as from a list standpoint, not just similar towns, but think about similar industries, think about similar roles, because you don't have to rethink your message every t- every single time you get someone on the phone. So if you're calling, say, all CFOs, then your message will be pretty much the same for each of those CFOs. Or if you're calling inside of a town, you can reference other businesses that you work with inside that town. So the reason I'm calling is I work with blah, blah, blah business right down the street from you, social proof. And that's a good reason why we should get together. Now, real quickly on that, when you start thinking about messaging along a narrow list, a list of, of, of homogenous type of leads, you want to think about two different types of messaging. One is targeted messaging and one is, is personalized messaging. Targeted messaging is messaging that would fit most of the prospects on your list. It won't be perfect for everyone. And sometimes it's going to get you kicked out or get an objection. But for most of the people on the list, it would connect with them. So whether you're leaving voicemails or sending emails or doing phone calls or walking indoors, having a, a targeted message that hits most people on the list will make you faster and more efficient. The, the, the Personalized message is a message that you're typically going to build for one person. So usually for a sales professional and business to business, that message is going to be for a C-level executive, maybe, you know, some, a chairman of the board, but somebody where you're going to get one shot and what you're selling or the issues inside that organization are so unique to them that you need to take time to craft that message. That takes a long time to do. You have to be really thoughtful about it. So you, you're going to reserve those for your highest quality, highest potential prospects where you absolutely have to get to the door. But the net result of this, of this answer is, that the more you can make your list, your prospecting list homogenous, so all the prospects on that list have are similar to the other list, the faster, more efficient, and more effective you're going to be. All right, who else has got a question? Hey, Jeb, I just wanted to let you know I've read most of your books. Thank you. And I noticed that one is coming up on messaging. When we, we've will got that it, yeah. be released? <laughs> 
And how can I build more confident in the messaging, like leaving voice messages? How can I build more confidence in that? Well, the, ne- the very next book that's coming up is going to be is going to have a big, huge component of messaging, along with uh, with how to build effective prospecting sequences. And the messaging part of that is going to be especially how do you create interconnected messages across multiple prospecting channels and touches? So how could you take a message that you sent via email and then you sent via video call and then you sent, you know, that you sent or you maybe, you know, left a voicemail for how would all that work together? So. First of all, that book will be out this fall. I'm writing it right now. I just turned in the first two chapters of that to my publisher and it's going to be, it's going to be called fanatical prospecting sequences. So look for that. There's the, the book is for pre-sale right now. It says fanatical prospecting playbook on it, but we've, we've made a decision to change that title. Now confidence. How do you get more confidence in your messaging? And this is a, a kind of a difficult question to answer, Chris, around confidence message. So bear with me. And if this doesn't make sense, stop me and let me restate it so it makes sense. The, the reason that most people aren't confident with their messaging is because their messaging is all about them. So when I say that, you, you go stand in front of your customer and you pitch your company. And what makes you feel feel less confident is you're watching the person or listening to the person that you're pitching to, whether you're in video, whether you're in person or on the phone, and or you're seeing the, the pushback or the objections that you get back from that. And you notice that they're just not that into you. Like you can see them kind of glaze over a little bit or you can watch the micro expressions on their face. And we're really good at picking those things up. And you just know inside, like something inside tells you that didn't really hit very well. And it makes you feel insecure because you don't want to get rejected. The way that you're confident in your messaging is that you learn empathy. And empathy in messaging is the ability to step into their shoes and see things from their point of view. And, and, and Chris, a great example of this is uh, just what we're doing at Sales Gravy right now. So one of the, the our big projects this year is essentially reinventing our brand. So we've, we've been in business for 16 years. We've got to go back and, and think about where we are and how we want to position ourselves. And one of the studies we did was on our website, like all the language and everything on our website. And what came back was kind of a shocking thing. Most of the language on our website is about us, not about other people. It's not about what we do for them. It's about who, who we are. And that's not, that's not how I do messaging as a rule. It's not how I write, not how I speak, not how I present, but that's how we, we did it as a market and from a marketing standpoint, because it's really easy to do. So we've had to really step back and step into our prospect shoes and say, well, when someone comes to our website, what are they asking? Like, what's the question on their mind? Like, what are they, what do they want to know? And those questions help you think about their perspective or how you're going to position your messaging from, from in a way that causes them to lean into you. Now, when it comes to prospecting messaging, I'm highly confident because I feel really good about building messages because I've I've like built that thing inside of me that is able to very quickly step into the shoes of the other person. And you can do it too. All it is is just a simple mindset shift. And and Chris, you can write this down, and this is be the easiest way that you can start building your confidence. When you write a message, write it down and just say it out loud. And then ask a question. Like you have to almost have to leave your body and be someone else, but ask the question, so what? And early on in my career, I had a sales manager named Bob Blackwell who would ask that question. He would do it with his fist and he would punch you in the nose and he would go, so what? So just stop and say, so what? 
And if the answer to that question isn't something that's profound, like if you were standing in their shoes, you need to rewrite the message. Because usually if you ask that question, you go, so what? You go, well, all you did was pitch. And that's it. And then you start working on that and working on that and working on that work on. The other thing is, and this is the last thing on confidence is you're just going to have to go out there, put the message on the, on the marketplace, stand in front of a customer, stand in front of a prospect, say it, write it, listen to them, see their feedback and then iterate and then do it again until you get something that really you feel like that totally positions who I am. That really connects with them emotionally. They lean in like Linda over here. They're shaking their head. You know, they're like this, this is what I want. And when you see that, you know, like I'm on track in that moment. Does that answer your question, Chris? Beautiful. James. Hi, Jeb. Hey. Um, thanks. Hey, thanks for the question earlier. Um, as a follow up to that, you talked about targeted and personalized messaging splits. Yes. Um, do you have a particular uh, share of those you like to do when you're when you're advising on prospecting, um, or is it, it, it? Is there a sort of secret pattern or something you you prefer doing? I love. There's no secrets. <laughs> so there's none, none whatsoever. <laughs> and there's not an easy button. It's, if you think about it, it, it might depend on your role, and it might depend on what you sell. So if you're in, let's just say you're in business services and you sell to a lot of prospects. Like for example, when you know I was in my 20s, I was in business services. I was in a cell that was a three to five call deal. Typically the sales cycle was 90 days to six months. And I had about 10,000 prospects in my territory. It was almost all targeted. Because I, I, I didn't have time to, st- to step back and, and do any time type of high velocity prospecting to get enough appointments if I had to stop and write, write every single message for every single person. And what, but so most of my messaging would be focused around verticals. So I sold to manufacturing, I sold into food services, I sold into quick service restaurants. So there were all these different types of businesses that I sold into. And by the way, some of it was geographic. Sometimes, especially part of my territory was in the Western North Carolina, and they were a very local focused community. So I didn't go in and say, I'm with a big, huge company and I can solve all your problems. I, I would come in and say, hey, we've got a location in your town and I want to come see you and show you how we can help you. So I would change my messaging based on where I was, but most of it was targeted. Yesterday, I was coming back from the airport and I have the luxury of having someone drive me back and forth to the airport so I have time to work. And it was about an hour and a half. And I, I did about 90 minutes of a call block and I'm calling other CEOs. In those cases, everything was, everything was personalized. So all my messages were built around that individual, that individual's uh, situation. So for example, one of my messages was I had talked to someone else and it was, I'd called a CEO and I, I said, you know, hi, hi Jim, this is Jeb from uh, Sales Gravy. The reason I'm calling is I'm gonna grab a few minutes of your time because they told me that one of the things you're frustrated about is it's taken too long for your salespeople to get ramped up. And some of your salespeople are in their jobs for a year before they sell anything. And you're looking to get a higher return on your sales headcount. And I help companies do that. How about we get together next week and I can learn a little bit more about you and see if what we do is a fit. And I got an appointment, but that was specifically for that CEO. And the craziest thing is I called the CEO's cell phone, the CEO answered it. So you know, you, you win and you lose. That was the only answer I, I did. 90, 90 minutes, the only person that picked up, but I got an appointment and we're talking about, you know, a six figure deal if we close that, but that was highly personalized. 
But if I were calling, for example, for SalesGrave University, a team account. So you're talking about a small team, typically a team of salespeople locally, you got five to 10 salespeople on a team. I would call and I would have a very, you know, very targeted message, probably by vertical, but I might say something like, you know, I would say, hey, James, this is Jeb over at SalesGravy. The reason I'm calling is to grab a few minutes of time on your calendar because we've been really successful in helping small sales teams like yours get the training that they need to compete with larger companies and win. And I'd like to show you how we do that. How about we get together Thursday at two? And, and, and then I would just repeat that over and over and over again. And if, if I was calling in to say, you know, pest control, I might have a different message for pest control. If I was calling into HVAC, I might have a slightly different message for HVAC, but the bones of that message would be similar for most of those businesses, because we're talking about in that universe, about 8 million companies that we could do business with. There's no way that I can stop and have a different message for every single CFO or CEO. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Excellent. Who's next? Gotta be Linda, because Linda's just nodding her head. She's got questions. Linda's a solopreneur. She does have questions, I'm sure. I am. Right. I'm sure just pick up your brilliance. That's it. And then oh, please. What please T talk to me. What's what's your question? No, I'm, I mean, seriously, so part of uh, my thing is consistency is lacking consistency with the the um the calling, you know, with the sequencing and all that. And then I get all lost. I wish you had your own CRM, Jeb. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Linda, just real quickly, just tell me a little bit about what you do mm -hmm. and, uh, and your business and like who you serve. And then let's talk about consistency. Okay. So I'm a national board certified health and wellness coach. I am here because of my own experience and reversing my health conditions and losing a massive amount of weight. So I am here to help others do the same and to provide that, you know, that extended hand and that hope. Um, so I serve people who are in an unhealthy place naturally, right? People okay. need to lose weight, reverse conditions, things like that. So it's personal one-on-one -on -one as well as I reach out to a lot of like hospitals and doctors and things like that. Gotcha. And so you're, you're all by yourself. It's you, yes. it's you and a phone. Yeah. Okay, great. So there's a couple of things that happen if you are a solopreneur or you are on a really, really small sales team where you're doing everything. And, and I know this to be true because I can tell you that when I started this company 16 years ago, it was me and a desk and a phone and a pen and no CRM. That was it. Like that was just me. So the problem that happens, especially when you're, you're like, you're serving your customers and I may be wrong about this, but you get someone on the phone or you meet someone at a networking event, or you get a referral, you engage them, you start talking, they become a client. Is that, that's kind of how that works, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you set up meetings with them and you're counseling them and you're providing advice and you're teaching them and you're probably doing all those things. You're coaching, teaching, training. Absolutely. Yep. Everything. And then, right. And then you get a couple more clients on. Yep. yep. And then it feels really good. And then you say, well, I could eat frogs in the morning, but I got clients and I got stuff to do and I got to send an email and I got to do this and I got to do that. And I'm feeling for pretty full right now. So I'm not hungry. So if I'm not hungry, I don't need to eat. And, and I think that's where this. Yeah, there's a slight disconnect too there, because I mean, I don't like all the other hats and all the other roles. Yep. I want to coach, but I also yes. want to coach in my own business, in my own yep. way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when you get a bunch of clients, you don't prospect. 
Yeah. And then when you don't have clients, you're yeah. desperate and you prospect. And the worst thing about that is that when you don't have clients and you're desperate in your prospect, not only are you desperate in your prospecting, which makes it more miserable because you don't really like doing it. And I get that, right? That's, that's a business thing. But you also make poor decisions. You bring on the wrong clients and you cut your prices. I see you shaking your head because you've been there and done that. Yes. So, so, so the consistency is a problem because of human nature. When we're hungry, we'll do anything to get, you know, to get fed. But when we're not hungry, we don't like we think we think that we're going to have clients forever. So the, the secret for you in your role is just super simple. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple. It is that you have to have that daily block every single day, no matter what you prospect. And I don't care if you got 100 clients and you got a million things you got to do for them. You're going to make five calls that day. And, and if like this day is a really, really big day for me, I've had zero time. I've been on a video camera since I walked in this morning, but I got a couple of prospecting calls waiting for me. This day will not end until I make those hopefully five. And that's not a lot of prospecting calls. If you think about it yesterday, I did 90 minutes of it today. I'm going to do five, but, but the, but the, the deal that I have with myself is I'm going to do five because it's easy not to do them. Because over time, what happens if you've got a full calendar and you say you're prospecting, you're only going to do five calls, that's actually going to be a lot easier for you because those five calls might be to doctor's offices. It might be to get more referral partners for your organization. You're developing those relationships. And, and those calls are going to be easier, by the way. You're going to be more confident. You're going to be more relaxed because you're full. And you don't really need anything. So you're going to sound completely different. And then when you do that a little bit every day, as crazy as it sounds, even if it was only five outbound calls, if you just did that every single day and willed yourself to, the cumulative impact of that adds up over time. Now, it takes a while for that, that add up to happen. Like it might take six months, but there's this point where it begins to become like a, a flywheel that's easy to run. And as soon as you stop, it all falls apart. So if you can begin with that awareness, it'll be easy. And the second thing that you probably need to do, which is not a bad thing. This is a wonderful thing about having a mastermind group is just find yourself an accountability apartment, accountability partner. Um, there is an accountability department, but just go to the accountability partner. And that was, that could, that could be another solo entrepreneur in your community. It could be another person who is a consultant. It could be another person in your space, but it could be anybody who is just like you building a business on their own. They have to prospect. They have to sell. They probably have exactly the same value system as you do. I want to coach. I want to, this is my passion. I want to do that, not these other things. And then, and then if you can find that person, then the two of you bounce off of each other to make sure that you, you keep that rhythm going. Thank you. Make sense. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Chris McDonald. Hey, Jeb. Love your book. Um, my question is with the CRM again. Um, one of the problems that sales managers run into quite a bit is trying to get the sales team to utilize and, um, utilize the CRM more in building their business. Messaging has always been difficult. Well, you got to do it because you got to follow up on all the calls. But what would you say for better messaging in pulling the value out of having the assistant being your CRM manage your business for you? Wonderful question. So we, we asked this for a question for the first time in my life in 1995. 
1995, the company I was with installed gold mines and then nobody would use it. Like, what do we got to do? And before that, we had a mainframe that you would like if you think about this, Chris, you got inf- new information on a prospect. So I call you up again. I write it down on a piece of paper, put it in intercompany mail. Someone would put it in the mainframe and then they would send a piece of paper back to you that you would put it in a three ring binder. That was a CRM. And salespeople wouldn't do it then. And then they wouldn't do it when we did gold mine. And then we put in Salesforce, they wouldn't do it. And, and there's all kinds of CRMs today. And they, they, you know, they, they, they won't, they won't do those either. And what I explain to managers, whether you're using a HubSpot or Sugar or VanillaSoft or, you know, any of these organizations out there, pipe driving, mean, there's tons of them out there. It doesn't make a difference what you use. The truth is, is that if you have salespeople on your team that are really, really, really good at CRM, they probably suck at selling. So they're, they're super organized. They got everything in the system, but they can't sell them their way out of a paper bag. So you're not going to message good salespeople into loving the CRM. And by the way, this is, we probably shouldn't give you behind the scenes, but I run a sales training business. I wrote the book on this stuff and I have a group of people on my team, about 30 of them. And every day I got to talk about CRM. Is it in HubSpot? I think I said that three times a day. Is it in HubSpot? So I, I have those, those same issues. And, and the way that I've learned how to manage CRM, Chris, is not so much, am I going to message something in a way that is going to cause good salespeople to buy into the CRM? Because think about it. We're talking about 1995 to now 2023. What is that? 30 years? Something like that. And we still haven't gotten salespeople to buy in. And we're still asking the same questions. If, if I thought that there was like some secret formula that I could give you that would suddenly position a CRM so all the salespeople would say, dude, oh my God, I can't wait to get to work and put some stuff in the CRM. Like if I could do that, I certainly wouldn't tell you on the, on a Ask Jeb call. Like I would be holding that stuff and I'll be selling it for a billion dollars. So, so that's not the answer. What the answer is for most sales leaders is A, you better by God know your CRM. Like you need to know how to use it. You need to know how to run reports in it. You need to know what's in it. You need to be there because the number one, number one mistake that I, that I find with sales leaders inside of organizations is that the sales leaders don't know how to use it and never use it. And all they do is just talk at it. And the salespeople know that they're full of it. So the salespeople just go, I'm not doing it anyway. So number one, if you're a sales leader, you need to know it, use it, use the reports from it, send a report to people, understand how it works. Number two, you have to wake up every day and go like, first of all, go watch the movie Groundhog Day. Go watch that and wake up every day. You're Bill Murray every single day. You're going to wake up and you're going to say, is it in the CRM? Why is it in the CRM? How come it's not in the CRM? You can go as far as some companies and say, if it's not in the CRM, you're not getting paid for it. You can do that and it will change some habits, but it won't change them all. And every, every company since the mid nineties, I remember like in the late nineties, two thousands, like the early part of 2000, when we were really getting into cloud CRM, I remember company leaders in my big old fortune 200 company say, all right, we're drawing the line here. Any salesperson who doesn't use the CRM, they're going to lose their job. And nobody lost their job because there's no executive in the world that's going to fire their number one salesperson because they didn't put something into a database. Nobody's that stupid. So that was just a paper tiger that went away. But you can tie some incentives to it. Better to 
better to talk about it every day. Pull it up on your computer. Show people reports. What I do on, on my CRM is I have a dashboard and it's got a ranking on it. So if you didn't run your deal through, I, it shows up in the ranking. So maybe you closed it, but you didn't run it through. You don't show up in the ranking. And I can tell you, there's one thing that I know drives salespeople crazy is where I'm on the ranking. Like they, they would rather be in the top of the ranking than get money in most cases. So you're, you're keeping it in front of them all the time. Keith Lubner on my team, who I don't know if you've anybody met Keith, but he calls it the bump into it strategy. And then you coach it and you talk about it and you expect it. And then you wake up the next day and you do it all over again. And you never get up to here. You don't get mad. You don't get angry. You don't shout. You, you just hold people accountable the best you can. And if you've got a salesperson on your team that is selling millions of dollars a year and they're making it rain you know, so hard that there's a flood inside of your organization of money and they won't put stuff in the CRM, hire somebody to put stuff in the CRM for them. And thank God you've got a rainmaker on your team. And th that's the best that I can give you on that. Okay. And the one thing that I'm mainly tracking is cold call. So you want to you message cold calling? Okay, that's, cold call. That's mainly. Okay, well, let me give you this. Okay. So <laughs> same thing, you know, so, so like if you're utilizing it to track cold calls, what you're doing is asking people to click the button. I made the call. The question is, what do you want? Do you want people to click the button or do you want cold calls? Cold calls. Great. So if you start pushing the, the, you got to put it in the system with cold calls, what do you think the salesperson is going to do? Yeah. Just log a bunch of extra. Work. They're just going to log a bunch of activity. Yeah. So they're yeah. not going to tell you the truth. I mean, at least right now, you know, they're telling you the truth. Like if there's nothing in there, you can go coach it. So you got to be very, very mm -hmm. careful when it comes to an activity measurement like that. Like it's not in the CRM, you got a problem. I mean, I'm worried about, did Sarah get her notes about the call that she went in a day in the CRM? Because those notes and those next step matter because when she has the next call, because we got a lot of deals working, she's going to be more prepared. I'm, I'm worried about how the CRM helps her remember things, not necessarily how mm -hmm. it helps us track things. I mean, I'd like to see that right now. Sarah's number one on cold calls on our team in the CRM. I can see that. I don't know how effective they are. I'm just teaching you, Sarah, but you're number one. So if you go to our dashboard, she's made more outbound calls than anybody on the team. And, and by the way, our trainers on our, in our world, everybody sells. So we don't have people who get paid to train and people who get paid to sell. We all sell. So, but I, I don't think Sarah, I've called you once and said, are you logging your calls? Nope. Only nope. for my big meetings. You yep. Is it in HubSpot? Make sure it's in HubSpot. Make sure the competitors in HubSpot, that important stuff. The important stuff. I, I, I want it there. Mm -hmm. I put it in front of everybody. And hopefully the person who is on the bottom, which is me, um, will get shamed enough to log their calls. I make a lot of calls. I just don't log them all. And I need to do better at that. And Sarah is shaming me into that and I'll get better. But it's not the outcome. The output that you're looking for is, does the cold call generate qualified opportunities? So what I, what I will get Sarah on is, hey, she, I, she said, I talked to somebody. Did you get the information that you talked about in the CRM? That's way more important than did you log the call? And that's what you have to like, that's what you have to start thinking about. And we get hung up in, we want everybody to comply with getting this data in the CRM. We're 30 years into this and they're still not doing it. So what will work is if you have a phone system that just records every time someone makes a call, we can do that in our team with Dialpad, but it's complicated. 
or you know you've got um, you've got someone who sits next to each salesperson with the uh, with chit marks, which I think works actually works better than putting in a CRM. Tell me how many calls you made. I made ten. You can just self-report that. I know that's not the answer that you're looking for because everybody's looking for how do I make salespeople do this? I can make salespeople log your calls, but if I make them log your calls, the information that you're getting out is mostly going to be wrong. No, this is great information because I'm doing a training session in a couple hours with them. And you make very valid points. Log the major stuff, leave the other junk out. Any kind of notes? Yeah. Follow up. Exactly. Now, if you if you if you want to do training on it, you, what you can do is say, hey, folks, let me show you how to make this really easy. You pull a view. And then you, when you pull the view, you dial for 15 minutes. When you get done, just go in and write, you know, if you didn't talk to them, just log call, log call, log call. Could you do that for me? And most of your people will. And then you rank it and then the rest of your people will. Perfect. Thank you very much. Perfect. Brenda, what you got? Hi. Hi, Jeb. Mine, my challenges is with the gatekeeper. And I, I find that I have these conversations with them. They are a target um, HR professionals with services that I give and they love the stuff that I talk about. And then I get crickets. You know, I've been saying, you know, I, so I ask questions like, well, how about we meet, you know, next week at such, such a time with, you know, who else would be a decision maker? Who else might we need on this call? And then I get nothing. How, like, so how do you go? Like, do I go beyond that? I guess. Or like, what, how do you manage that? (laughs) Let me ask a quick question. What do you tell me what you sell? So it's to do with leadership development and employee engagement. Okay. So in HR. it's a training uh, coaching program. A change Okay. And you're selling to learning development or selling into HR? Both L and D and uh, HR professionals. Yeah. Okay. I and mean, you, to you, have them um, for their leadership. And you do know that L and D and HR were all sales dreams go to die. Sorry. Well, pardon me. I said, <laughs> Cynthia got this. <laughs> I said, I said HR and learning and development are where all sales dreams go to die. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're in the, you're in the okay. land of what we call consensus builders. Consensus builder is a style type where people, we call them Seymours, but they, they will have a tendency to ghost you. There's a lot of reasons why they do that, but you, you end up with a lot of people that are very indecisive that will take your call, that will listen to you, but just won't make a decision. And, and even a decision just to move to the next step and spend time with you. And you really need to start at that place because it's it's like in a lot of cases, those particular roles is like pushing a rope. One of the reasons is that they are ex- extraordinarily risk averse. Those people in those jobs, and I'm not saying all the people in jobs and I'm generalizing. So the people who are listening to this don't come they wrote me, write me nasty letters. But the people in those jobs are protectionist. They protect their jobs. And oh, by the way, if you're bringing programs in into L&D, anything that you bring in from the outside is a threat to them. They're supposed to be able to build it, right? They're supposed to be able to know these things. So you're, you hit a wall with people that will protect their job or put a wall up, but they'll listen to you. They'll let you give them all the information, but then they'll never talk to you again. They ghost you. Now, you use the word gatekeeper. So when typically when I think gatekeeper, I'm thinking receptionist. Right, or I'm thinking a person who screens you. When you say gatekeeper, who are you talking to? Who are you talking about? 
I'm talking to the HR professional. Yeah. So, so like really, I, yeah. Yeah, you're really not I find talking them to the gatekeepers. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're what you're talking to, you're talking to a person. Now, are they calling you or are you calling them? Uh I'm calling them. I mean, okay. like, uh, yeah. So okay. I would say that, you know, we're we're on LinkedIn, we're having, you know, some going back and forth, and then it's booking the yeah. the, the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. These it's not necessarily gatekeepers. A gatekeeper would be a person who keeps you from talking to anybody. These are people who are setting appointments with you and uh, we might call them seekers, but they're, they're looking for information. You sit down with them, you tell them the information and then they ghost you. So yeah. at the end of your meetings, are you setting a next step? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. Um, and then of course they're, they're saying, you know, give me some information and I'm hesitant about just, I don't want to give them a whole bunch of information. So then it's, okay, well, I need to talk to whoever they're saying that they need to talk to. Okay, let's book. And then I'm not getting that, that second booking. Okay. So, so a couple of things here, this is, we could probably, I could probably spend three hours on this particular thing. So there's a couple of things that are going on here. Let's just start with the next step. When you go into those meetings, it's important that you know your target and next step. What are you asking for specifically? And you need to be able to describe the value to that person of moving to that next step. And that next step is something on your calendar and their calendar. So it has to be a next appointment. So if you call and you talk to someone and y'all have a conversation, you do a little bit of needs analysis, you, you, you show them what you do, they seem interested, you say, based on what we've been talking about here, what I'd like to do is set up a next call so that I can do a little bit of a deeper dive to see if what we're doing makes sense to take to the rest of your team. Or you might say, our next step typically, once we've had you take a look at that, is to get your team together and do a demo so that all your folks can see that I've got time on my schedule schedule next week. Make sense? So you, you want to get very intentional and confident about asking for that next step. Don't hesitate. Don't, uh, you know, don't equivocate, ask for the next step and know what you're going to ask for when you walk through the door. Okay. That's number one. The, the, the second thing is who are you talking with and are they right, the right person? And it sounds like in some cases, they're probably not the right person. They're just the person that would listen to you. And in those cases, what happens is you get them on the phone or you get, you get a meeting with them in person, you get a meeting on video and they say, okay, tell me what you got. And you start talking, you pitch, like you tell them all about you. Is that, would that be true? Um, well, I, Actually try and get more of a, what's a, what's going on for them. Okay. Yeah. So you're doing deeper discovery. Yeah. Okay. And, and then what do you do? Then I ask them, you know, based on what they've said, if I have a, you know, to show them how I can help them in those particular challenges and to set up a next appointment. And okay. so if you, if you're just listening to them, so if you're doing that, so if you were, if you go in and you pitch at them, and, and they, they have a hard time setting an appointment. What they're saying is, I, you lost me, right? You, I'm not that into you. You spent the entire time talking. I don't like you. I'm not moving forward. If on the flip side, you get them on the phone and you spend the entire time doing discovery, that's really, really good. But if, if your pitch for the next step is, if I could help you solve some of these problems, would you be interested in moving to a next step? You're, gonna, you're, you're really not going to move to many next steps. Because, because you didn't do enough to, to generate interest in them to move to the next step for you. 
So I think you're doing the right thing by starting off by asking the questions. What you want to do is have a nice transition where you've got a very tight pitch where you build value bridges to what you do from what they said in a way that gives them enough information to salivate them, like to get them thinking about maybe moving forward with you, but not too much that you give them everything. So I think your instinct is I don't want to I don't want to reveal too much is important, but you have to give them enough. Like you have to get them to say that, oh, well, I'm, I'm really interested in learning more. Oh, that sounds really interested. I, I'd be interested in taking you to the boss. So the motion is going to be, tell me all about you. Tell me what you're working on. Tell me your projects Tell me you value. Then here's how I, I can help you. Bullet point, bullet point, bullet point being based on all these things. I think it makes sense for us to get together again so I could do a full demo of the program for you. Okay. Does it make sense? So it's, it's a, it's just a, it's just a transition. And it sounds like maybe the, the, um, the communication is getting lost in you do all the right things. You gather all the information, but there's just not enough meat on the bone for them to give you more time. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. And then the third thing, Brenda is, is, are you getting in too low in the organization? So are there, you know, are there other places that you should get into? And I'm going to give you one piece of advice uh, and we'll, Jim, I'll, I'll jump over here to you. And that is that in some cases, maybe you're selling to the wrong group. So we sell training and almost always the people who buy training from us are the individuals that own the profit and loss statement. They own the P&L. So we're talking about executives. We're talking about crazy as sounds operators. In a lot of cases, it's not even the VP of sales because a lot of times the VP of sales doesn't have a budget. It's sometimes it's CEOs. A lot of cases it's CMOs, but it's very rarely someone in sales enablement who says, hey, I've got budget and I want to give it to you. There are cases of that. We've got some wonderful clients who are sales enablement who have a budget and they can, and they can give you budget, but they're typically with really, really big organizations where sales enablement is able to buy certain things like e-learning. So you see the courses that you have on Sales Gravy University, we've got sales enablement groups who will buy those courses specifically for their platform. But a full-on sales training, that's going to come from someone who has a much bigger budget. So you may even think about going to different places in the organization that would be interested in, say, leadership development that would that would have a budget to give you. Then they tell HR and L&D to do business with you. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. Jim. My question is kind of twofold. Um, speaking of gold mine, I first used that in 1997. That was a, actually a great program um, at the time. And then <laughs> I felt they didn't adapt to mobile. So that's why I switched. But um, the daily block preparing for it and getting pumped up for it um, was my question. And then my second part of that is I have a lot of past or inactive clients that I probably should be reaching out to yes. more and I don't. But so that those are my two questions is the the prep and getting getting in that mode yeah. to make that daily block and then inactive clients. Yeah, the the on the first one in terms of prepping, the, the most the most important thing you could do to prep is to simply build the list the day before or, or have a block to build the list. So back, if I go back years ago when I was calling into manufacturing, I, when I woke up in the morning, my alarm went off. There was a list that was sitting on my bedside table. I, I went to bed with it there and I did my first phone block from the bed. Now I would go get a cup of coffee. It was set on automatic, but I get a cup of coffee. Now this made my wife really angry because I'm sitting next to her at six 30 in the morning, peeling off a 30 call phone block. But that was when you call manufacturer. 
And if you got in there at 6.30 in the morning, they would they would take your call. So for me, like my, the way I prepped is I had the list ready. And then my rhythm was, my battle rhythm was, when I get up in the morning, I make that call. And the reward was if I called early in the morning, I got a lot of people on telephone. And, and, and the, so that's the big thing. More than that is when it comes to prospecting, and Linda, this partly for you as well, is like, there's nothing that's going to get you pumped up for something that you don't like. Like, like I have to exercise. I don't go get myself pumped up before I go exercise. I go exercise to get pumped up. When I prospect yesterday, I peeled off a, a 90 minute phone block in the back of a, of a suburban on the way to, uh, from the Atlanta airport to Augusta. When I got out, I felt great. I got talked to one person. I left a lot of voicemails. They were the inactive customers. And, uh, but I felt good. Like, I mean, literally it just like got me fired up the rest of the day. I felt fantastic. And Sarah tell you the same thing. And there's nothing like doing a call block to make you feel like you accomplished something. Even if you left a bunch of voicemails, you know, cause I have faith. If I do a little bit every day, it's going to work out. So I would, that's what I would do. I think you just have to say, this is my daily rhythm, but more than anything for most of you, if you just started your day with frog eating, and you did it for an hour and then you were done with it, that would be the very best thing that happened to you. I'm done. I don't have to do this anymore. And then I'm going to do other things. Now, that inactive customer list, quick story. One of my clients asked exactly the same thing. How can we grow our business? Well, what can you do? We got all these inactive customers. I said, how many do you have? They go, I don't know. So I talked to, this, to their CIO and said, could you build me a list of all of the companies that have done business with your company and the last four years who haven't bought anything from you in the last six months. Guy comes back. He's got a list of 500,000 companies. Now, that was a lot of business. Now, a lot of that was no good. Don't get me wrong. It was just, you know, one-time little things. So I said, let's just try something. So I had the senior vice president of sales, the COO, and the CIO and myself. And we sat in an office, and we got the list, and we dialed for an hour. At the end of the hour, we had sold $1 million, $1 million closed from those calls. And the bulk of that was from one call to one company that said, oh my God, I was just about to call you guys. I'm so glad we're, we're in the middle of a project. We're doing this, 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 and this. And um, yeah, we, we definitely need a quote. And we, you know, we did business with y'all and we love you. Boom. But we sold a lot of small stuff too. So there is gold, gold in your inactive customers. There's gold, even in your closed loss, there's gold in that. I mean, think Linda, how many people do you talk to that choose, chose not to, to hire you as a coach? Like call them again, talk to them again. Maybe they're still thinking about it. So Jim, for everybody, there's gold. Go in there and the, and the calls are easy. Hey Jim, how you doing? It's been a while since we talked. When's the next time you plan on buying this? Just want to check and see how you're doing. Like you really don't have to like over script it. They already know who you are. They already, you already have a brand recognition with them. Just say, Hey, how you doing? Simple. Thank you. All right. Cynthia. Hi, Jeff. I've got two questions. Um, the first one is, so I target marketing managers in companies of over $100 million dollar um, okay. turnover per year. And so my first question is, how do you uh, yourself um, target high-value clients? Because for me, those are high-value clients. 
And the second question is actually linked to Brenda. So Brenda manages from LinkedIn, she manages to actually get people on the phone. But for me, they ghost me before getting on the phone. So um, I send my first message. I tell them how we can help them increase revenue with video. Um, I sell yep. video production services. And then, so they say, I'm interested to meet with you. And I'm like, okay, so um, how about Monday or Tuesday at 2 p.m.? So I give a couple of options and then nothing. They just ghost me. So my first question is, how do you um, prospect high-value clients? And my second question is how to get them on the call. From so when you say, I'm going to grab my cup of coffee, but when you say, when you say prospect high-value clients, um, when you say, because you, you first said targeting, so you, do, you know who they are. I know who they are. Okay. I've got my list ready. I know who they are. Yeah. Okay. And, and so what are the, what's the challenge you're having with them? So the challenge is um, having challenges to actually get through to them, you know, on the okay. phone. Yep. Uh, so that's, that's the main challenge. And I know earlier when you talked about the example of this six figure deal you're working on, you mm -hmm. talked about personalization when you called that yep. CEO. So I heard personalization. Yep. Is there, is that the only difference? The only thing that no. I, so, I mean, if you're calling, if you're calling marketing organizations inside of hundred million dollar plus businesses, you've got a big, prof, pro, you know, prospect base. There's, it's, there's a lot of companies that are over hundred million dollars. So you're probably going to be be more targeted. You, um, you've got a, a service. It's vid, video services. Video production. No, sorry. I'm in Ireland. There's not that many companies here in Ireland. Oh, so I'm you're just doing Ireland. Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, well, there's still, still a hundred, you know, a hundred million U S companies. There's what? 500 of them. Yeah. Thousand. Mm -hmm. uh, there's my list is, um, 800 companies. Okay. 800 companies. Good. So you, you, you can use some personalization in there with 800 companies. That's going to be important. So the first thing I would do with your list is I would segment your list out into, into groups. I'd start off with a group of about 10 or so of your top 10. These are my top 10. I want to win these deals no matter what. And that's going to be a long-term cadence with them. So you're going to send snail mail. You're going to, you're going to connect with them on LinkedIn. You're going to really just focus on almost account-based marketing to those, to those, those deals. Then you want to have a list of say 50 of them that I would call conquest accounts. These are going to be companies that are either with your competitor or they are companies that are well enough, well known enough that if you close one of them, you can use their name with other companies. So you can say, Hey, I'm working with them and you'll get that social proof. And those are conquest accounts. You might sell one of your top 10 a year. You'll sell a few of your conquest accounts, but you've got a, a focus on them that is a much longer term. You're just, every, you're just touching them. You're taking care of them. You're, you know, you're finding ways to get in front of them, but not everything is a transaction. Hello, let's meet. And then the, the rest of it, I would just break down into targeted accounts. And then I would segment those out by how big you think the business is going to be for you. Like, are they high potential, medium potential, low potential? So I would do that. And that, so your messaging may be different to your top 10 and to your conquest accounts. But the bulk of your accounts, we would call your targeted accounts. These are the ones that you're just trying to get a meeting in. And, and because they're marketing and because they get, everybody's got something they're selling to marketing right now. Like you're, you, you probably know that you're just noise in the marketplace for them for the most part. And they're super, super busy. Then you, you're going to have to work to get their attention. 
one of the one of the mistakes that you may be making, I don't know, Cynthia, because uh, I don't know you, but one of the mistakes that a lot of people make in these situations is they 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 call or they leave a message or they do something on LinkedIn or they send an email, they send a direct message and they do it. They don't get a response and then they don't do it again. Like they wait and maybe they wait a month or maybe they wait two weeks, but they're not like really being persistent at it. So what I would do in your situation is I would create a prospecting sequence. And that prospecting sequence is going to be a combination of synchronous, pick up the phone, call, leave a voicemail message. It's going to be email. It's going to be LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, both in terms of, of creating familiarity on LinkedIn and direct messaging on LinkedIn. In your world, WhatsApp might be a great tool to use. Uh, I use WhatsApp on pretty much every country other than the U.S. Uh, so you might use it there. And if you're like, if you're in Dublin, for example, go, just go, not go, go to their location, drop a card off. Like there's nothing wrong with just showing up. If you sell video services of any kind, do videos of yourself and send them videos of yourself, send them snail mail. I had a rep who sent, sent me snail mail and ended up closing the deal because she was so persistent, but the snail mail was pretty cool. So I called and said, really, thank you for this. So Use snail mail and handwritten notes, and you're going to want to sequence those over a period of time. What you'll typically do with your top 10 is that sequence might be two or three years. I just closed a deal last spring that it was a three-year, every 90-day sequence with this particular executive until I finally got through. Three years. Uh, it, it, with your conquest accounts, it might be a little bit, you know, like once a month, you're going to touch your conquest accounts. With your targeted accounts, what you'll do is like peel off a group of, say, 25, and then run a sequence against that 25. So, for example, if the person says, hey, I'd like to learn a bit more, on, and then they, they, they disappear on LinkedIn, it's not because they're ghosting you. It's like, maybe they're like me. Like you sent me that message. I responded to you before I could get back to you. There's a hundred more people who are sending me the same message in my inbox. I'm, I'm just overwhelmed with LinkedIn. I can't manage it. And I, 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 right now, this is shameful to say, I bet there's a million dollars sitting in my, in my inbox that I could probably go capture. I can't get to it. So, so that you, they connect with you, send them an email now. And say, hey, I, I sent you an email. Then direct message them or use use video on LinkedIn to message them again. Hey, I sent you this thing. I had somebody do that to me recently. I said, yeah, I want to take a look at it. Then I ghosted them. Not on purpose, but they came back and they sent me another one. They did it on a Saturday. It popped up and I felt bad because I told them I would meet with them. So then I met with them. So sequence those those touches. And if someone says, hey, I want to see it. They showed interest. Most people aren't bad people. They didn't do that just to, you know, just to, just to make you feel bad. They just did it and they forgot about you because they moved over to the next thing. So you got to take the responsibility to get back in front of them, get back in front of them. And I'm, and I mean this with snail mail. There's one bet inbox right now that is empty and that is the mailbox. So scratch off a handwritten note. Pop it in the mail to them. Take a picture of the of the thing from LinkedIn. Make a copy of it and stick it in there. And like and like you got to be that level of persistence, especially in your world. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that's amazing. Thank Perfect. you. Perfect. When I come to Ireland, we got to hang out. Anytime. <laughs> All right. You. Hey, um, Jane, would it be okay if I if I uh, give Angie a shot? Uh, you just stay there. You keep your your hand up. Angie, go ahead. Hey, Jeb. Uh, look, at the risk of sounding crazy, I just want to start off by saying that I'm like a huge fan. And your book, I've been recommending to all my sales friends. I tell awesome. everybody about you. I tell everybody about the sales training. Sarah's amazing. I just, I'm just like, I feel like uh, 
a little kid right now, having, having this opportunity, it's very exciting for me. So anyway, um, everything everybody's asked about are things that I've had issues and concerns with. But the one thing that I also find challenging is asking for referrals. So I, I find that I get a lot of referrals without asking for them, which is mm -hmm. great. Um, and I have leveraged a few of them and I have been able to win business using these referrals. Usually they're just written that I kind of forward off and say, look at what other people are saying. But if I ask for a referral, I rarely ever get one. Unsolicited, no problem. But if I ask, I don't get them. So tell me how you ask. Ask me for um, a referral. I, well, usually I would just say, well, you know, if you're if you're happy with your service or your, I, I actually run a side business and I and I sell uh, for for my company. So I, I have kind of two okay. full sales that I do. So in my side business, for instance, I would say, you know, you seem very happy with your product. Um, I would love a review. Um, if you don't mind, I'll send you a link to my Google page and, you know, I hope you'll find some time to do that for me. And then I don't hear anything. <laughs> okay. But that was, but you didn't ask me for a referral. You asked me for a review. Well, so, kind of the same thing. Well, it's not, that's not, but it's not right. So if, so a referral is who else do you know that can buy my stuff? Right. right. So, right. So, so the review is a little bit different. So let me, let me unpack this for you. The okay. way that you asked for that was assuming that they wouldn't do it. If it would, if you wouldn't mind so much, if it would be okay with you, would it kind of be okay if I could send you over a link? Relaxed, assertive confidence. It's the, and the reason why Angie, this, this feels so funny to you is because you, you were such an empathetic person. Like you, you build relationships probably like nobody else does. You ever notice that people gravitate you to you? They love talking with you. Like you, you, you make friends really easily. You know, your clients love you. And then, and then when you have to ask for something like that, it feels like you're being pushy. So you hesitate. But when you hesitate, it doesn't make them confident in that. In a lot of cases, they, it's easy for them just to ignore you. So you would say like this. I would say, I'd say, Angie, it's like, how do you feel about the product? And you would say. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So I'd say. Thank you so much. You know, Angie, the, the, one of the best things that you could do for me, because you love the project, prod, the, the, the product is to write a review for me. Would you please go to Google and just type out a few words? It'll take you two seconds, but it, it helps me find more people. Would you do that for me? hundred percent. Perfect. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send over a link and then um, all you got to do is click on the link and do the review. And I'll send it to you. And I got about a 50-50 chance of you filling out the link for that. Because people do that to me all the time. Jeff, I love your book. Fanatical Prospect Genius Changed My Life. What can I do to help you? Write a review for me. And about half of them will write the review and half of them I'll never hear from them again. And that's just because they, now they have to go do it and they got to click on it and they got a life and the other things doing. But you want to ask confidently for that. Now I would do the same thing if it was a referral. If it was a referral, I would say, I would say, um, so Angie, thank you so much for doing business with me. I'm so happy that you're happy with the product. I'm so happy that you're happy with the service. Listen, I, you know, I make my living by finding people like you where my product fits. And I'm wondering who you know that I should be talking with. Perfect. You see what I did? And did I say anything else? I just shut yeah. up. Now, you want to, you get referrals because people want to give you people because like they like you and they believe you and you've built a relationship and you earn that referral and you should be proud of that. And that's important. When you ask, 
If you've done your job, because getting a referral is really simple, delight your customer, provide an exceptional customer experience, do a job, and then ask them. That's it. But ask with confidence. And, and again, same thing. About half of them will stumble over. Well, I don't know. You know, let me think of some people, follow up on them. And about half of them will say, yeah, I know somebody. And there's, there's some different ways to ask for referrals. And there's a couple of ways in the book. If you go to financial prospecting, I, I, there's a couple of ways in there. But what you want to ask is with the assumption that they're going to give you somebody. Make sense? Right. Okay, perfect. Thomas, I'm going to take your question. We're going to run just a little bit over. I, I get, but we'll, and we'll get James. Go, Thomas. Hey, Jeb. Sorry, I'm not on camera. Just recovering okay. from being down uh, sick there for a couple of days. Um, quick question for you. On a strategic account executive team where I just manage, you know, one or two or three just really key clients, right? 50 million mm -hmm. plus spent yeah. a year. Question for you is when you get post closed sale, right? Post implementation, but these are your two or three accounts. Any tips or recommendations on keeping that communication cadence and bringing value, but you're still in between sales, right? You're not always going to be selling something to key accounts, but you want to maintain contact, bring value yeah. and, and just maintain that relationship. I love any tips or thoughts on that. Yeah. I th you know, the, the, the really easy way of saying this, Thomas, and it's the, it's one of the, the, the things I think that we fall down on sometime says is just, saying hello. Like you don't really have to think I got a call to add value. So just call and say, Hey, Sarah, Hey, Thomas, I'm just checking on you. How are you doing? Sure. That's it. And, and then let them talk, like shut up and then say, what can I do to make your life easier? Just like that. So not, how can I make your life easier? Is there anything I can do for you? Those aren't questions that people ask. Just say, I just, I, just I hadn't been talking in a couple of weeks, call and see how you're doing. What can I make your life? How can I do to make your life easier? That's simple. You're not selling anything you're offering and they'll 99% of the time say nothing. I'm good, but they heard your voice. Then send a note to them. Nothing wrong with sending a note to them. The other thing you can do is watch their industry. And if there's something happening in their industry, like I read the wall street journal every single morning, mm -hmm. text a link to a, a, an article that they might be interested in. Send a video message. There's nothing wrong with picking a phone and say, I was thinking about you, Thomas. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate your business. Text it. Boom. So there's all kinds of ways that you can stay in touch. I think the fallacy is that every single time that we call them, we have to add some value. And I know that feels weird because I feel the same way sometimes. Like I've got clients that I know that we're going to do more work for, but in between, I don't exactly know what to say to them. And I still have that, that hang up in my head. Like, well, I don't really have anything to say. And what I, what I have to do is, is, is help myself stop telling myself that BS story and just say, hello, how are you doing? Because I know that people like to be liked. And if I just do that, everything's good. Does that make sense? I love it. Thanks, Jeb. Appreciate it. Awesome. All right, James, last question. Thanks, Jeb. Um, I've got a couple of quick ones on, it's like a sales EQ. This reminds me okay. of your book, Sales EQ. Um, so the first one is in a first time appointment situation, you've got an enthusiastic prospect. They want to race ahead. They, you know, you, you, you break the ice with them <laughs> before you've even set the objective or done the agenda, anything like that. They've run ahead and they started telling you and breaking down their problems they're getting and they're, 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 <laughs> the, the end of the discovery process. Yes. That's number one. Number two is a red herring. Yes. So you dealt, you dealt a red herring. It's a little bit of an awkward one. So for example, they've asked you to critique their setup and let's just say their setup is, not, it leaves a bit wanting. They've circled round to it again and asked a second time, so you can't ignore it. Mm -hmm. um, 
what would you, how any tips on how you might yeah. elegantly handle that? Let's take let's take the first one. If you're if you say hello and they start talking about their problem, you win. Shut up and let them talk. Like they just they just made they shifted into discovery and you're in control. And the person who is listening is always in control. So there's really nothing wrong with that. Now, if they advance forward and said, hey, that sounds really good. Can you give me a proposal? You got to get back in control because you won't win the deal that way. But if they're like, here's my problem. Here's my this. Here's my this. The second one is exactly right. So the first time you sort of did the let it go by you and the second and the second time they bring it up again. The, the cardinal rule is if they ever bring it up twice, then it's important to them. So the, how I would do this to get in control of this is I would say, wow, it sounds like this is really important to you. Help me understand why. And then you shut up because they're going to talk about it. At least you can clarify what's important to them. And so you so essentially when you're running like the PIS or PIAS, just the frame is you pause and you say, OK, I acknowledge it. This is important to you. It sounds like this is important to you. Help me understand why. And at that moment, they're talking. You're back into discovery and then you can deal with it. And they said, because of boom, 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 you go, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. A lot of people have those concerns. Let me ask you a few questions over here. And then I'll loop back to that once I understand these things. Make sense? Or you can say, I totally get where you're coming from. A lot of people have those exact same questions. Here's exactly how we're handling that. Does that make sense to you? And then you shut up and he's either say yes or no. And by the way, I, that happened to me yesterday. I was in a sales call where I was buying and there was a red herring. I, I'm the red herring. Like I'm doing this, but I can't help myself. Like there's this glaring number on a page that they put in front of me that shame on them. And they, they realize later on, they go, you know what? We should have never done that. You're the sales master. We shouldn't have done that to you. I'm going, yeah, you should have done it because it was the only thing I can think about. But I brought it up and they, they kind of passed by it. And then they brought, I brought it up again. And the, to, to the credit of the, the owner of this company, he said, he said, okay, sounds like this is really important to you. Tell me what's bothering you. And I said, it's a really big number and it's scaring me to death. And he said, oh, okay, let me explain. He explained it. And then I went, okay. And we moved on to the rest of the conversation. So it, 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 it was a red herring, but it didn't derail us because of the way he handled it. He listened to me first. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, that's great. Thank you. Okay, excellent. Well, everyone, our time is up for this Mastermind Jeb Unplug session. Mastermind Group, awesome. Thank you so much. I I really enjoyed being here. Sarah, uh, well done today as the facilitator. Uh, yeah, you've kept us kept us all on track. I did and, so much. <laughs> and and uh, and and for all of the people that are that are listening, uh, Mastermind Groups are are a massive way for you to change the way that you're you're doing business, you're doing sales. Linda over here will tell you that, you know, as a coach, a mastermind group can can help you find other people who are like you that are experiencing a lot of the same things. Mastermind groups are amazing and you can build your own with your own group of people in your own company. Or you can come to Salesgrave University and you can join our next mastermind group with a facilitator like Sarah and folks like all the people here in mastermind group awesome. And uh, you can learn from each other. You can connect with each other. You built a friendship with people that you can, you know, that will help you down the road. And folks, uh, it's been a pleasure being here with you. And we will see you next time on the Sales Gravy Podcast. Mm -hmm.